Hi, Media Advisor here. I usually don't let you hear my voice, but as I'm putting this episode together, uh, we found that there are a couple of segments that have some distortions, some cracks, some pops, and we did our best to get rid of it. Um, ultimately, we got rid of about 30 to 40% of the distortion, but the words behind the distortion are important enough in both segments, in the senior interview and in the virtual conference segment that we still want you to hear. Um, the media team hopes you can overlook this and enjoy the podcast. And again, thank you for listening. Hello, and welcome to the fifth and final installment of Our Voices Amplified, the official podcast of Kona's Blue Ridge Journal. This podcast has taken you with us as we explore the 2020 Virtual Kona Conference. True to our namesake, this podcast has given delegates like you the chance to speak their mind on Kona-related topics and learn more about this conference and each other. My name's Christopher Page from Kentucky, and I'll be the host for today. In this episode, we'll find out more about how delegates dealt with time zones, get some insider wisdom from seniors on how Kona has affected them, how students across the nation feel about having conferences being held virtually, and we'll revisit Dear White America for the fifth time to hear a discussion on both what it's like to be a gay teenager in a place where maybe the people aren't as progressive, and the methodology and feasibility of ways society could improve towards racial equality. Starting off this episode is a very interesting segment hosted by Riley about how delegates have handled being in different time zones during the conference. Now she'll introduce the segment and tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, thank you, Christopher. So I'm really excited about this segment because I was able to find a person, a delegate, from every single time zone to come and talk to me. So it's super interesting. I got a lot of answers that I was not expecting. Awesome. Thanks so much for sharing. And now let's listen. Thanks so much, Christopher. I am here today with a delegate from each time zone. I will be representing the Eastern time zone, but let's go around and let the other delegates introduce themselves by stating their name, delegation, and which time zone they are from. Okay, my name is uh, Ryan Gold. I'm presenting Pacific Time. My name's Carson Thorpe from the Louisiana delegation. I'm representing Central Time. My name is Augustine Leon Sines from the New Mexico delegation and I'm representing Mountain Time. Aloha, my name is Michael Barut. I'm from Hawaii and I'm representing the Hawaii time zone. Wonderful, okay. So with myself being in Eastern Time, I never really have to learn how to convert time zones. So I was just wondering if it's similar for you guys or are you guys pretty good at converting time zones? Um, I know for me um, in, in Pacific time, I know there have definitely been a couple times, especially during Kona when I've like forgotten to convert from Eastern time and I'll like get really confused about scheduling things, but I feel like I'm pretty good at it. <laughs> I'm decent. It depends. I can convert from Pacific and Eastern and that's it. I would have no idea how to do Hawaii time. I know how to convert all time zones, especially like Alaska, Pacific, Mountain, Central and Eastern time zone. And yeah. Yeah. And I think I just want to echo Micah's sentiments. I mean, I've kind of been trained to um, convert between every time zone because non time isn't really at the center of anything. So I need to know that, you know, like Eastern is two hours ahead and Pacific is behind, one hour behind, et cetera. Way yeah. to flex. <laughs> <laughs> Does it make any difference with daylight savings or? Yeah. Oh yeah, that too. Well, that's super interesting. So has Kona seemed any more difficult since you had to deal with being in different time zones than other delegates? I would say, um, yeah, totally. Um, it's just kind of difficult making sure that like um, your times are correct, and it's kind of more stressful, I think, because not it's not like they just give you a time. Like they give you a time, and then you have to convert it like in your head, and there's like room for error, which is like kind of stressful. But you know, yeah. yeah. 
And I know like my delegation is doing meetings with other states and other delegations. And it's kind of a little more difficult to find a time that works for everyone considering everyone works at the same time, at different times. So we're working around that, but that's been kind of different. I mean, I think I for, oh, sorry, you can go. I would say like for same same thing too, especially like trying to like be on the same page with the Arizona delegation because when Arizona were like three hours, we had a we have a three hours difference always. Yeah. And then I think for me, um, it's I mean it's easy as I've said because like I know how to convert the times, but I think it's tough when, for example, I've had like GA um like start at 12 here and so like i've had to eat lunch at 11 and that's not something i want but i've done for kona so yeah definitely. i would yeah i would also say that i have to like wake up early because for like jay and plenty after like our whole delegation is like meeting at one ymca and i have to like be that 7 45 and that uh, yeah it's like really early for us yeah Definitely. I know in the Eastern time zone, uh, before Kona started, I mean, I obviously knew there were other time zones, but like, I didn't, it didn't click in my head that when I sent messages to like interview people, I had to be specific and say Eastern time. (laughs) (laughs) That was definitely a challenge for me. I even had to learn what the, um, how to write Eastern time shorter in the, in that way. So that was a good learning experience for myself. Um, So this is kind of just a little fun question, but if you had to pick a time zone to live in, knowing all that you do, which one would it be and why? So we'll just go in the same order. Um, I'm really happy in Pacific time, (laughs) honestly. (laughs) um, I feel like, I I know I I FaceTime uh, a lot of other like Kona delegates a lot. And I feel like it's kind of nice being able to be like the last one on FaceTime, you know, because as you know, as the night progresses, because we're like three hours behind Eastern time, as the night progresses, um, like it'll be like it, when it's like 4am in Eastern time, it's like 1am here, you know, so it's, it's nice to be able to like, still be on and it's not and it's like more manageable than um, Hawaii time because like if I was in Hawaii time, my PSG would have been at 4am. And I would not have been into that. So, <laughs> so yeah. What time was your PSG? Mine was at, mine was at 7 a.m., which was interesting. But it was fine. It was just a little early. <laughs> wow. I think I would love to be in Pacific time, honestly. Because I have so many friends over there. And it's just weird. Because it's like a... Uh, I have no idea if it's two or three hours, but it's it's more than I would like, especially if I'm on FaceTime with anyone. It's just, it's much later for them. Mm-hmm. Micah? Mm-hmm. I would say that I would live in the Pacific time zone because I've been to like California multiple times, especially like San Diego because I have family over there and also, like my, I would say that my college preferences would probably be more on the West Coast, especially for the Pac-12 or Mountain West schools. Yeah. Yeah, and then um, I also Pacific time. I know it's basic, but I think that um, I really enjoy being in the middle. I mean, mountain time is like not like we're exactly in the middle so we're not in the extremes at all so we can definitely like compromise for a lot of stuff but i feel like if i was in the pacific time that also that's like a big region um of population for a lot of people you know with like los angeles and san diego so um i could still um work with that yeah wow i did i did not expect that answer um, honestly, I thought you were going to say Eastern just because everything revolves around Eastern, but that's, I guess that's just my Eastern bias. <laughs> <laughs> but that is weird. I mean, I guess for me, I would like to be able to convert the time zones and not think everything just evolves, evolves around Eastern, but I don't know, 
I like that it does. That's just my personal preference. <laughs> <laughs> so do you guys have anything to add about where you're from and how that has affected your kind of experience? I'm trying to think of like, I mean, it's cool for us because we live right outside of New Orleans and that's always fun. And a lot of the, we almost, the majority of our delegation is from either Baton Rouge or right outside of New Orleans. So that's been pretty, pretty convenient. And that's always just like a fun place to go, especially if we're doing any like bonding exercises. I feel like um, for me, like being in Pacific time, um, I like, I think it's a lot easier to get to know um, other delegates in Pacific time because I feel like more um, just like generally like more things like in the Kona chat and like online as like Zooms and FaceTimes, I think more things happen at night than in the morning, you know, because in Pacific time you, you would tend to miss more things in the morning because, you know, you're behind. So when it's like, you know, 10 a.m. Eastern, it's 7 a.m. here, you know, so like you wouldn't be awake for that generally i mean i know i wouldn't <laughs> um but at night you know you kind of works in your favor at night because you get to you kind of end up staying up you know past the time that people in eastern time and even like central and um, mountain time stay up so you get to kind of see everything play out i think which is really nice yeah i would say that i'm used to it usually i wake up between six and seven in the morning and like just starting talking to people in different time zones but I try to like refrain like talking to like people after 7 p.m. Hawaii time because I'm like taught like not to like text people like late at night and like one day I was surprised that there's like people that still like talk to like other people as late as two or three in the morning Eastern time. Like I'm kind of like used to like waking up early because like sun tends to rises earlier and it's summertime. I know that for me, kind of, sorry to, like, cut into that a little bit, but for me, um, and, like, for me, like, and, like, shout out to my Kona friends, you know, um, but I know that, like, I've, like, stayed up all night, like, on FaceTimes before with <laughs> Kona, <laughs> um, and, like, I don't know, I just think that, like, staying up really late, I don't know, for me, I think staying up really late on um, on Kona FaceTime, just, like, with friends, you know, is, like, pretty, a pretty normal occurrence. <laughs> yeah, that's... But that might just be me. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. I know for me... Um, not like I wake up earlier, but like, I know I can't like text anyone about like ideas in my head for media stuff, um, because most people are still asleep, but also <laughs> like, it kind of comes back at me because like our, my delegation meeting, I'm from Virginia. So my delegation meetings have been mainly at like starting at nine o'clock at night and then they don't end until 10 and then you just, you have no time to do anything else. You just go to sleep. Um, but I mean, I do like having that time in the morning to just like sleep. Like that's nice. It's just late nights, you know? Um, well, you heard it right here, Conan Delegates. You know it, you know, it seems so normal just to be talking to four other people. But when you really think about it, we all live in such different places all across the United States. And I just think that really details what Conan is about. I'm so grateful to meet all these new people from all across the U.S. And I thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Thank yeah, you so much. I'm here now with Lily, who interviewed some seniors in order to gauge just how much Kona has affected them. Hi, Lily. Would you like to give us a rundown of the segment more in depth? Of course. I talked to some Kona seniors about some of their Kona memories and how their experiences have shaped their future plans. I really enjoyed hearing what every one of them had to say. Awesome. Hello, I am Lily Jandrasevitz, and today I am here with Carter Deweese, Cameron Olbert, Patrick Barnett, and Chloe Kinderman. First, I just want to congratulate all of you on graduating. And let's just get right into the interview. So, um, Cameron, if you want to start with this first question, then we can go around. I want you to talk about a certain moment that happened in Kona that really impacted you. Um, yeah. So, at my, I remember at my very first Kona, there was this senior in our delegation, um, whom I looked up to a lot, and I was convinced that she did not know my name or know, like, anything about me, and then as I was just, like, walking past her doing something or other, um, she looks at me and goes, oh, hi, Cameron, how's your day? And, like, I don't know, that just made my day, 
So at every like subsequent Kona, I've always tried to um, sort of replicate that and indicate like, hey, I know who you are and I care about your day and things like that. Um, so yeah, that was one moment, extraordinarily small, but was still really impactful for me that happened at Kona. Yeah, I've had like something really similar happen to me before where you just like, you feel like no one would recognize you and then they do. And it's just so validating. Mm -hmm. Um, Does Patrick want to go next? Sure. Is it all just the same question? Yeah, the same question, just a certain moment. Um, I think definitely a big um, important moment for me at Kona was meeting one of my great friends, uh, Maddie Blanick. She's from Wisconsin. Um, And we don't necessarily see eye to eye on a lot of different political stances. Um, but we grew a great bond and a great friendship um, on the mountain. And I think that's a really core piece of Kona um, is meeting people and getting that exposure to ideas that you don't know, um, but still connecting on a more personal level. So for me, meeting Maddie was um, something that taught me to separate politics from friendship um, and just being able to create that bond with people who you may necessarily disagree with. Um, and yeah, I think that definitely carries through throughout all of politics and throughout the rest of my life. Yeah, I love that. Chloe, do you want to go next? Sure. Um, my first year at Kona, um, Maddie Walsh, who served as a PO last year, uh, was my committee chair. And I ended up proposals with her and another um, girl on our committee about um, the proposal was about mandatory vaccine policy. And just before the night before we were going to con- uh, present in first committee, I actually got the stomach bug and a, like the entire Alabama delegation got hit with it. Like four of us, I think ended up getting sick. And so I didn't get to present my proposal, but even though I wasn't there, um, I kept texting or like giving me information about it, keeping me updated. And that really felt, made me feel included, even though I wasn't there and even though I was miserable um and then the next year i didn't think she would remember me at all but like the first time i saw her she asked me how i was she like hoped that this year would be a much better experience and it really showed me like how much people at kona care and it's it's a really special environment here yeah i totally agree i've heard so many good stories of people combining too they just seem to like become so close and love working with another person mm-hmm Carter, do you want to go next? Sure. Uh, I think my answer is uh, like a little more general, I guess. But last year was my first year at Kona, and it was it was kind of my first time, I guess, like representing Alabama on a national level. And I just I thought that was a wonderful experience because you know there are a lot of um, like bad stereotypes about Alabama, I guess. And it was nice to kind of um, go up to North Carolina and show that you know a, a lot of those aren't true. Some of them are, but you know a lot of them aren't. And um, uh, it, it, it's just nice to be to be proud of my state because that's not a feeling that I would say I get very often. Um, but on the mountain last year with the family of Alabama, I say I was I, I was definitely proud of Alabama, and so um, that's something that I thought was really great. And that's the kind of thing that um, really only Kona would open the doors to. So that was pretty nice. Yes, I love that too. I love meeting people from new states where you realize, like, despite like the misconceptions you can have, they're just like so similar to you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. So next, next, does someone want to talk about how Kona has affected your future plans? This can be like it gave you skills for an interview for college. It taught you something new that you want to major in. It can be anything. So, does anyone want to start? Yeah, um, I'd love to. So, I think that um, before Kona in general, um, and especially youth and government as a whole. I was a bit lost, um, and I think that I sort of uh, decided my future path as psychiatry or psychology um, just for the hell of it, just because I wasn't actually genuinely sure what I had a passion for. Um, so I think what Kona did for me is it opened the door to a new view on politics where um, I was actually a part of it rather than someone who was viewing it. Um, so I was finally able to be a player in that arena, and I think that definitely showed me that while politics is often seen as something that's above um, the general public and it's not necessarily 
a field where most people would be inclined to enter. Um, it's definitely an opportunity that's out there for you, and it's definitely something that you could look to. Um, and then also, in addition to meeting all of the other people from different states and different regions, I think that definitely pushed me further to a path of diplomacy um, and international relations due to the fact that we're focusing on both national and international relations, and we're meeting all these different kinds of people with different backgrounds. Um, and that definitely inspired me to want to work as an ambassador and to work in a foreign nation where I can meet new people and experience new cultures um, while also pushing a political um, sort of aspect into that career field. I love that, Patrick. Is that what you're going to be majoring in, like political science? Um, yeah, so I'm double majoring in political science and um, public relations, and then I'm going to hopefully make my way into diplomacy. Oh my gosh, double major. I love that. Does anyone have a similar story or how it's affected their major? I, um, I think I'm going to major in political science or like something like that. I would say youth and, youth and government in Kona is definitely something that's pushed me in that direction. But, you know, it's kind of, it's especially pushed me in the direction of Alabama politics because there's... I guess like the euphemistic way to put it is that there's a lot of good to be done in Alabama. There's a lot of opportunity for, um, for growth in the right direction. And so that's something that like being involved in um, Alabama youth and government and being able to come to Kona and look at national solutions, it's really inspired me to um, kind of want to go back to Alabama after college and uh, try to make change for the better. Yeah, definitely. Chloe, you're from Alabama too. Do you feel similarly? I definitely, I so I've always wanted to be a doctor and I definitely still want to do that. Honestly, more so now. Um, a few years ago, I did a bill at Alabama Youth Lab and help for rural hospitals in Alabama because I ended up talking to so many people through youth and government who had been impacted by inadequate care in rural areas in Alabama. And it definitely exposed to me that not only do I want to be a doctor, but I want to be able to impact change on healthcare specifically so that um, people in rural areas have access to the healthcare they need. And um, yesterday I had the opportunity to present a bill or a proposal, oops, on uh, expanding telehealth services in general assembly and specifically for rural areas. And I had so many people talk to me afterwards about how rural health has been lacking where they live and how people they've known are have been impacted by this problem. So I definitely am interested in studying public policy and public health in college uh, because I want to be a doctor, but I also want to be able to access policymaking to help make change for the patients who need it. Yes, I love oh. that. And I probably wouldn't have never like even thought about that. So thank you for explaining that. Thank you. Um, I'll be voting. I'll be voting Dr. Kinderman for Senate in 2050. <laughs> yes, Dr. Kinderman. <laughs> what about you, Cameron? Um, so Kona didn't necessarily affect like my major or what I wanted to do as opposed to like everything else. Because I'd always been deeply interested in politics and public policy. But the environment that I stepped into at Kona was unlike anything that I'd ever really experienced because of just how accepting and genuinely interested other people are in you for reasons utterly having like nothing to do with your intellect, with your intellect or anything like that. It's people sort of just value you for you. And so that impacted me on an incredible like just an incredibly deep level um and so it honestly changed the way i view like interacting with people especially new people and one other thing that kona did for me is it introduced me to my best my now best friend who uh we're now going to college in scotland together so it like deeply impacted my future in that way, as well as made me far more outgoing and far more interested in people simply because that's a, the right thing to do or the, that's something that feels good. Yes, I love that. Do you say you're going to school in Scotland? Or yeah. Oh my God. First of all, that's so cool. Um, second, I like totally feel the same. And I feel like so many do where it's like, people that are so similar to you, not even like necessarily their political views, but how open they are to talk to new people and like collaborate and have 
interesting conversations. So Mm -hmm. finally, I would just like you all to say some advice for new Kona members and how they can fully take advantage of the experience and future Kona members and just some advice because I've seen how much it's impacted all of you. And I want to make sure all the future delegates have that too. So do you want to go first, Chloe? Sure. I would say, I mean, there's a lot of advice out there. Like speak whenever you have the opportunity because everybody here wants to hear your voice. And there's really nothing like getting to share everything you're passionate about with such a supportive group of people. But I would also say if you're interested in something and you see somebody talk about it, or if you see somebody give a proposal about it, talk to them. I know we're not on the mountain this year, but GroupMe is a wonderful platform for this. And we've certainly um, seen the media provide a lot of opportunities for people to speak on things. And so make sure to contact those people because I know that they would be 100% willing to talk about it. And you never know when those conversations are going to provide you your new best friend or maybe just a new idea for you to think about that might impact what you want to do or, I mean, at least a new proposal next year. But you never know how many doors a conversation can open. Yes. If you could see me right now, I'm like doing spirit fingers. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Patrick, do you want to go next? Uh, of course. So for me, I'm a big proponent of the idea to seek comfort. Um, so that's really something that I would push onto new delegates, returning members, um, and really anyone that doesn't think they've experienced everything because no one ever will. Um, just seek discomfort. You know, have those conversations with the people who you generally wouldn't. Um, talk to the people who have different views. Experience new things. Um, and really push yourself out of your comfort zone because you're never really going to make any progress within yourself or within this world um, if we just continue to sit in our own little bubbles of comfort. Um, so, yeah, definitely seek this comfort and just put it all out on the line, really feel everything, be raw, be emotional, um, and just connect with some new people. Yes, I totally agree. And for anyone who doesn't know Patrick, he definitely practices his advice (laughs) and encourages others to do it all the time. Um, Cameron, do you want to go next? Sure. Um, So I'm spirit fingersing at both of the previous delegates. (laughs) Um, But also... Um, I was talking to this friend of mine who works in Washington, D.C., and I was telling her all about, like, Kona and the, like, unique environment that YAG and Kona bring relating to just, like, universal acceptance. And she said, um, make sure you hold on to those friendships because you don't get many other environments like that in the real world. Like, and she talked about how in D.C., like, people are, it's just like a giant city of helium. And the thing about helium is it's very flammable. Um, but at Kona, it's almost the exact opposite. And so um, when it comes to the connections that you make at this conference, both inside and outside of your delegations, um, to new delegates, I would say pursue them to the fullest and do your best to keep them going on in this next year and the year after. Um, there's people that I met in 2018 that I still talk to. Um, so pursue the connections that you've made here within and outside your delegations is the biggest advice that I can give. Yes, and that's perfect advice. Like, I'm the type of person that's, like, not really good at, like, just like messaging someone or texting them first but I feel like with so many people I met at Kona you just feel so comfortable like enough to know that if you ever reached out they'd be there and open to talk okay finally Carter do you want to go yeah uh definitely um specifically referencing what Patrick said I I really love the thing about getting outside your comfort zone because Kona is like it's like the perfect place to get out of your comfort zone. There aren't uh, actually a whole lot of places at Kona where, or on the mountain where I guess you should be that comfortable. Whether you're, you know, giving a speech in GA or plenary um, in front of a bunch of people or you're climbing up a mountain where it's like it's supposed to be a hike, but then you get there and it's like almost vertical and you know, your legs are burning. Um, but uh, Kona is just the perfect place to do that. It's It's the perfect place to meet people from all over, to meet people from all different perspectives, people with unique ideologies that don't necessarily um, fall on the left or the right, but somewhere in the middle. Um, or maybe they take pieces from the left and the right. And Kona is just a perfect place to do that. 
Oh my gosh, thank you all so much. I agree with everything that you said. You all have been so articulate. And thank you so much for talking to me. I wish you luck in your future endeavors. I know you'll do great just from talking to you. But yeah, thanks again. Thank you so much for thank having me. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Lily. Thank you. Have a great day, Lily. Bye. And to all of you. Bye. As well. Have a great day, guys. We now have a segment hosted by Elisa Zhao from Minnesota about how youth governors across the country feel about virtual conferences. First of all, hi, Lisa. Hi. So now you can tell us a little bit about the segment, and then we'll listen. So yesterday, I spent some time talking to past and present youth governors from different states about how their state's virtual conferences were run and how their roles changed in the virtual environment. All right. Thank you so much. Okay. Hi, delegates. Today I'm here with Cameron, Zach, and Molly, who are going to talk to us about their state's virtual conferences. Do you guys want to introduce yourselves? Um, yes, hello. I'm Cameron Mears. I'm from the Commonwealth of Virginia, and I will be the youth governor this upcoming year. Um, my name is Molly Bowerman. I'm from New York State, and I am the outgoing youth governor of New York. And then I'm Zach Donaldson. I'm from Pennsylvania, and I'll be the 2020-2021 youth governor. Awesome. Okay, so the first question I have for you guys is pretty big picture, but just tell us how your state structured their virtual conference. Um, all right, I'll go first. Um, so at, at just like Kona, everything was over Zoom. Um, but what I really liked what uh, Virginia did was they gave the candidates um, uh, forums so that we could talk uh, about our character and different things that we stand for because we didn't actually give uh, get to, you know, go out in front of uh, an entire crowd and give our speeches. So I thought that was really interesting and really fun to do. Yeah, my um, conference was also um, entirely on Zoom. Uh, well, actually, we used Google Meets because some delegates could not access um, Zoom uh, because their schools had banned it. So um, what I loved that our state did was we kind of um, condensed our conference into, two, uh, into one day full of debate and then uh, a week prior of committee, but delegates were all required to attend um, one committee throughout the week. So it was really only um, like a one day and then um, another committee session that they had to attend. And throughout the week, there were multiple um, social uh, events that were really helpful yeah, for so Molly, to make connections. We had one main day of virtual model uh, that we would do for legislative debate. But what was interesting is we're typically split into four different chambers. We have um, a Senate for the older kids, a Senate for the younger kids, a House for the older kids, a House for the younger kids. We put all all delegates of all ages into the same uh, chamber because it was in a mandatory attendance. So we had about 150 kids in the same Zoom call, almost kind of similar to what we saw at plenary this year. And we just went through everyone's bills. So it was kind of a nice truncated way to make sure kids still had an opportunity to participate. In terms of running for governor, a lot of the strength from that came from so through social media. We did do a Zoom town hall debate that was recorded and then put onto the Pennsylvania YouTube channel, along with a few different um, social media events in between. But it, 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 was, it, was, it was just kind of truncated for the virtual format, but still very enjoyable. So I think you guys all mentioned that your state did like a legislative session. Were you able to have all your program areas run like the court session? Um, like, I don't know, we do lobbyists, media, everything, or just do like... Oh, sorry, I didn't hear the uh, last part of the question. What was that? Um, I don't know what you mean. So, did your um, state, were you able to run all your programs or did you just do like... Here, um, can someone else go first? I can't really uh, hear what I'm supposed to talk about. Yeah, I'll go for it. I'll go for it. So, and, and just to repeat the question for you, it was, were you able to run some of the other program areas uh, through your virtual model? So we did. Um, typically, our legislative program is our largest, but press was able to report on everything that went on at virtual model. They made some fun videos. Uh, they even made a virtual model bingo board. I know we see a lot of those at plan. So they had activities to do there. And then we also had judicial delegates argue um the supreme court the mock supreme court case we had over the years so every every branch was able to get involved which was really nice we even saw some of the governor's cabinet come in on some bills so it, it was a really good inclusive day i think it was pretty holistic and able to get 
not just legislative delegates, which are typically the focus of um, state programs, but judicial, press, and executive as well. Yeah, um, on, on our end too, we had a lot of involvement from everyone. So our judicial program is usually um, about 100 people strong. And I think this year we had about 60, which was a really good turnout, um, especially considering the circumstances. And throughout the week, they had optional training sessions. And then on Sunday, they had to give their actual arguments, and present their arguments which went really well. And um, on the lobbying end, we still had I think a handful of lobbyists that were able to present on multiple bills and on the press and um, our editor-in-chief really killed it this year. She's actually attending Kona. Um, her name is Lily. She's really been such a shining star and she did uh, so many great things with press. They did a newscast and they were running like the New York State Youth and Government Instagram and posting daily updates. It was really awesome. So we had yeah, involvement so, um, on all Virginia's of, the, on the of our branches. Branch, and we got to do every part of that. And uh, every role was pretty much fulfilled through our Zoom conferences this year. Um, our lobbyists all got to speak on their respective bills. And our, our media had a huge play in our conferences this year. These, uh, the media were the ones that got to host all of the um, forums, and they also conducted uh, many interviews. And they also uh, they actually had a podcast that they put on Spotify. And big shout-out to um, Payne and Riley from the Virginia delegation. They're tearing it up at, um, over on the media side, so they're awesome. All right. I know you guys have already kind of hit on this, but what was your turnout like versus a normal conference? Um, I was, I I couldn't give you an exact number, but we still had a very good turnout in terms of um people participating for our youth and government conference. So, I I don't know the exact number, but there was still a very good turnout. For us, it was um, still pretty good and honestly a lot better than we thought it would be. We usually have about 600 to 650 delegates register. Then for the digital conference, we had 250 register. And of that, um, I would say there was a solid 150 to 200 people that were consistently participating. And the social events that were optional each night each garnered around um, 30 to 50 people. So. Um, in terms of like numbers, they were pretty solid, I would say, and definitely in terms of like um, engagement and participation, we were our the New York delegation really like knocked it out of the park. There were people who were making motions to extend debate, um, which I was really shocked by, considering that I was even I was getting tired after watching. Uh, you know, two or three hours of debate in a row. Um, so seeing that the delegates were so passionate and dedicated as to make motions that extend debate really showed that it's not about the numbers or where the delegates are, but it's about who yeah, they are and how dedicated totally they are to the program. That. So uh, obviously our numbers took a bit of a hit. Generally from PA, we're around 800 to 900 for a state conference. And I think we had around 150 total uh, for the Zoom call, which in all honesty is not bad. Everyone was very engaged. Um, and I think what was really interesting to see is that, you know, it, it stinks not being able to go to the Capitol. It's, it's one of my personal favorite parts. But a lot of that experience comes from the people you meet and what you do at that conference. And I think a lot of that magic was still felt, even though I was sitting in my bedroom, um, not wearing Steelers pajamas. So it was interesting to say, nonetheless. And I think it also just goes to show how passionate kids are for the program. Okay, so I know, like, you guys have kind of different experiences at this conference, but how do you think your role has changed, um, like, as the governor or as someone running for governor? Um, well, as, you know, after, you know, winning governor this year, I feel like um, in terms of comparing myself to last year at Kona, I feel like I, I'm more so in a, a role model position for our delegation. You know, I, I feel like I have to, some like, set some type of example or set some type of... Um, uh, model as to which you know the other delegates in my delegation uh, get to follow and and I'm not trying to say that in like a you know top dog type of way I almost I more so in an encouraging way you know like um, 
for instance, we have a big group me, and it's always great seeing um, encouragement throughout the delegates. And it's just trying to set some type of tone, you know, to try and be uh, very involved in all of the debates that happen at Kona and stuff like that. So um, it's mainly just to be some a source of encouragement and a type of uh, leader. Yeah, I think um, one of the things that I've noticed was that since I ran for governor, um, my platform really focused on kind of delegate outreach and trying to increase the New York State YAG online presence to balance a lot of resource inequities because we have a big problem in New York where some meet more often or um, have more delegates than others and that creates some really big inequalities. So one of the things that I tried to do was have the officers um, meet every month on Zoom and kind of have plans for the months, going, each month going forward to um, to help prepare delegates from across the state. Um, and another thing that I did was host webinars, um, I think three times throughout the year to go over um, writing a bill, then like how to debate a bill and the like formatting minutia. So that was one thing that I think um, trying to get the governor to be more of an outreach position instead of just like um, a speech person who gives speeches and stuff like that. So I think that was really important. And I think another thing that I realized was a big part of being governor was being kind of a cheerleader for the other officers um, and an organizer um, in a big way, because I think I couldn't have done a lot of the things that I did accomplish without the support of my fellow officers. Um, and I think one of the big, one of the biggest things that was part of my job was um, trying to help the other officers yeah, so fulfill their own potential and so inspire them. As a candidate, a lot of it was about keeping everyone still engaged in the process because, you know, once models canceled, I think elections uh, in themselves at model are already interesting, but the campaign, I mean, obviously I'm coming from a bit of a biased perspective, but the governor election and a lot of the other elections became the most interesting part after we got into a virtual format. So uh, a lot of it was about utilizing my social media to keep everyone, everyone interested in what was going on. Um, I made a Food Network parody campaign video. Uh, a lot of it was about trying to gather endorsement videos. So I think I think creating an interesting, tight campaign race was something that was able to keep a lot of delegates engaged. Now, as a governor now, um, I think my role in the program is a lot about bringing it back. You know, state-wise, around the country are getting really uh, hit by the coronavirus and closing. Uh, a lot of funds are getting hurt, nonprofits in general. So, and we're also in one of the most, you know, tense political and racial social climates in the world right now. So I think trying to be able to be a unifying force and come from a place of healing right now uh, where we can in our statewide is kind of how I see my role now. Okay, so my last question I have for you guys is if, you know, everything goes wrong and somehow we have to do this again, what do you think we would do differently? That is, a, that is a tough question, what I would do differently. Um, so I think I'll, you know, I, I can kind of, I can look back and kind of reflect on what I did this year and what I can do better this year. But I think I could just be a bit uh, better prepared. I feel like preparation is the best thing that you can have. Um, and I, just, I wish that I uh, could have picked up earlier on um, engaging with other delegates earlier on. I mean, because with everything being online and seeing everyone's, you know, contact information online, I feel like it's actually a lot easier, um, you know, to get in touch with people early uh, before and uh, before the conference. So I wish that was something I could have done a bit earlier on. But uh, other than that, you know, I, of course, I would love to be in person, but this is uh, this is definitely a great alternative. And it, it worked way, uh, worked way better than I thought it would. I think for me, there really isn't much that I would do differently in regards to the virtual conference itself. Um, but I think throughout the year, I wish I had taken a step back um, because I remember and relaxed a little bit because I remember um, at one of our leadership training meetings that we I was very stressed and uptight, worrying about how the bills would be short. 
chambers and whether everything will be balanced and equal. And um, I was really like upset over that and getting so stressed. And then as it turns out, like we threw it all out because we didn't have to divide the bills into chambers or anymore, anymore because we barely had enough um, bills and delegates to run two chambers instead of four. So it was, um, I think, uh, the virtual conference when was well above and beyond my expectations. And I don't think there was anything I would change because it was honestly just as powerful, if not even more powerful of an experience as, um, as an in-person conference. But I wish I would have like gone back and told myself to relax and take, take a step back and keep perspective. Honestly, if, if we do have to do the virtual format again, I think it's a fantastic alternative. And I would just want to expand upon really what we did this year because it was kind of a test run this year, right? It's never been something that's had to be done before. Um, so we, we had a very truncated, uh, shortened conference. So I would, I don't know if I'm just a nerd, but I've absolutely had a ball uh, in Kona this year, even though it is exhausting long days in front of the computer. But it's still, I don't think a lot of that magic is lost just because we're at home. So I think lengthening the conference definitely to have just to be able to include more legislative debate uh even possibly finding ways to divide zoom rooms into senate and house instead of having one main chamber and and being really able to replicate something closer to um the in-person model that we'd have in pennsylvania for virtual model next year if it were to happen all right well that's all i have for you guys today so i just want to say thank you so much for joining me absolutely yes thank you for having us yeah, thanks. Next is the final segment of this episode, one where Kona delegates are able to share their opinions and feelings on one of the hottest topics right now, race and the part it plays in inequality. This is Christopher Page, and welcome to the fifth and final Dear White America, a segment dedicated to empowering and representing those who otherwise may be marginalized. In this episode, my co-host Sanaa Smith and I will be speaking with two Kona delegates who we feel have a lot to share with us, and I also happen to be good friends with both of them. Hi, this is Sanaa Smith, and today our guests are Jacob Grant and Sarah Burbank. This segment is dedicated to not only discussions about the oppression of African Americans, but also the struggles of others that society sees as quote-unquote different. First, we're going to hear from our guest, Jacob Grant, as he talks about his experiences as an openly gay, as an openly homosexual teenager. Okay, so do I just start? Yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. I, just, I don't know, I'm just making sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I feel like what I should, like, preface on is the fact that, like, being a part of a minority group doesn't feel that way necessarily until you feel belittled by everyone else. Um... A lot of what I feel like kind of connects me with the Black Lives Matter movement is that I have a big, uh, deep feeling of sadness and empathy for um, Black Americans. I'll never go through their experiences, but I do know what it feels like to be alienated in different circumstances. Um, I was kicked out of a part of my church that was really dear to me, and um, being a part of that environment and being uh, ridiculed for something that I can't change and it just comes natural is one of the most strangest and appalling feelings that anyone could ever go through, but to have a skin color that's looked down upon and that make, basically makes you a criminal in the eyes of law, in the eyes of United States law, is really sad. And, um, yeah, so I don't, I don't know where else to go with this. I'm kind of, like, winging it. <laughs> um, but um, – I feel like a big thing with like being an openly gay teenager is that you do face alienation in different ways. I can remember um, going through like different friend groups because of like the different paths I was taking um, with my sexuality and um, trying to be open about it. I know I've lost a lot of friends. I've also gained some friends and I've also gained a lot of support. Um, But honestly, I feel like because so much has happened to me that I can also talk about being like the little guy in the sense of being in a minority group also makes me feel like I have one of the biggest voices that I can advocate for people who do feel silenced about um, how they are perceived in society, but they can also have a platform such as coming to Kona or um, different uh, youth and government conferences 
and being able to speak freely and speak freely on issues that pertain specifically to them. So, yeah, definitely. Well, I want to ask, do you think that youth and government programs uh, like in our state, um, Kuna and KYA, do you think that those have sort of given you a voice that you otherwise wouldn't have had? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I don't even think I became very active in youth and government until I started opening up about everything I was um, going through as a homosexual teenager. Um, I feel like it's such a space that, like, regardless of whether or not you agree um, with um, gay rights, which, in my personal opinion, you should. But um, if you have different political opinions on the matter, though, whether it pertains to, like, marriage and stuff, it's still a safe place to come and be able to have an open dialogue because that's what uh, these youth in government conferences are all about. They're all for inclusivity between different individuals, regardless of politics. And it's really just connecting people without connecting different prejudices that they may have. It's connecting people on opinions and getting to learn about each other. And I feel like I've really gotten an elevated voice in all of this because I've had the ability to talk with so many different people and perspectives. Definitely. I like that for you. We love it. Um, (laughs) I mean... Thank you very much for that. Um, and next, I would like to ask Sarah, actually, um, how do you yes. personally feel that society can move more towards equality and justice while moving away from transgressions against minority groups? Uh, the question is purposefully broad. So if you need like a second or two, it's fine. Yeah, so I think the number one thing that we all have a responsibility to do is to listen and be patient. So when I was um, younger, Chris can attest to this. I used to be a really big, like, number one Ben Shapiro stan (laughs) Republican. And I, like, I bought into the fact that, like, well, like, there's nothing legally keeping people of color down. Even though, I, I mean, I am a mixed person and I have had some, like, kind of veiled microaggressions, but I've never... I mean, I'm white passing, so I've never dealt with it in the same way that other people have. But I I really used to feel very differently about it. But when I, I open myself up honestly through, like, going to Kona and that kind of thing and, like, hearing just about the importance of respecting one another and the importance of open mind and, like, how heavily that's influenced, even though that's really so counterculture to what we hear from most of our political leaders – Um, and once I started listening, like, I just, how could I like listen to my black friends telling me their lived experiences and then tell them that they're wrong? You know what I mean? Um, and like with Christopher, with you specifically, like, I remember you said something to me that like, it literally broke my heart, um, about when everything with George Floyd had happened. And you said like, when am I going to be the black kid on the news? And that like was so like such a terrible reality to like have to grapple with that like you have gone through that thought process that like when you said that to me the next day like I went out and I like protested and I I don't know I I went out and I swept I swept up glass after the riots and like Mm -hmm. all this stuff because like like listening to you like how can I not like how can I as somebody who like I know if I go protest as like a white passing woman, I'm going to be safe. Like, how can I not go out and raise my voice when there are very specific changes that we need to have happen right now? But I think that the listening has to go kind of two ways. I know that a lot of times, especially it seems like among like white liberal people, there's this idea that like if your family isn't um, like... I don't know, they don't fall into the exact mindset that you follow, then, like, cut them off. That's toxic, and you shouldn't have to deal with that. But, like, you actually, like, that is your family. And if you aren't going to have the patience and the tolerance to try to talk to them and help them understand, then, like, what kind of of message are you projecting about the the views that you think are so important? So I think that it, it really has to go two ways especially with people who are allies i understand that a lot of times there's there's this um collective agreement that like people who people of color who have those lived experiences like it is not your job to advocate to yourself to people who are choosing to be ignorant but when you are in that position of privilege 
where your family and your friends have not had those lived experiences, like it's your job to, to at least try to start those conversations and try to be in those difficult spaces, I think. I think. And you have to be patient. Oh, I was going to say that I think that um, like on a, on a smaller scale is where we really need to start focusing because mm-hmm. policy reform is, is very good. I mean, and we're getting pretty far with that, but um, it's definitely harder on a small scale um, because like right. you can never pass a law that's going to end racism. I mean, that, I mean, just even saying right. that out loud is absurd, but um, <laughs> I mean, I think that ways we could even try to start on a local level is like when you hear your friends say like the N word, like, like yeah. tell them, no, that's not right. I mean, that sounds like such a small thing, but you would be surprised how often it just goes un- unmatched. Right. I mean, no. Well, and like, you got to stand up for other people. Like, I've had, like, really, like, I don't know. I'm an outspoken person. And I remember we, have, we were talking in my AP World class, which you were in, Chris. Yep. And, like, so they were talking, we were talking about, like, um, the Iraq war or something. And somebody in our class, like, talked about, like, She's probably a terrorist, like, like one in five Muslims are terrorists. And like, that was something that was said about me. And like, nobody challenged it. Like you have to. And yeah, we need to start doing that. That's like the first step towards equality for all is those little small microaggressions that are definitely much, much harder to deal with. But I think Mm -hmm. that's like the root of the problem. Yeah. And people say it without even like realizing it, like, because they don't realize that you're somebody who might be affected like Mm -hmm. that like I've heard things said about like who I am as a person really close friends that like don't know that that's how I identify that are really hurtful Mm -hmm. and they just aren't they just aren't aware of it yeah I think also another common word used is um like uh the f slur oh yeah we love that we love that one yeah I mean even people (laughs) at my high school love love to sling that word around i mean that is one of the most commonplace words used well and i feel like there's so much like ignorance to the point it's like you don't even know what you're saying when you say it like there's uh, because we live in kentucky it is predominantly white in the county we live in and Mm -hmm. there's so much privilege here like it's in the air you can you can smell it you can sniff it whatever um there there's so much there's a lack of education and educating yourself on like what these words mean. So like whenever you're just hanging with your friends or something mm-hmm. and you drop the Epsler or you drop the N word out cause it's normal for you. Right. No one's there right. to correct you, but here's the context to that. Mm-hmm. The F slur, a lot of people don't realize refers to this German term, which is like um, bundling up a Kindle of sticks. Well, that's mm-hmm. used to reference someone who's gay and is meant to be burnt. So yeah whenever you're telling someone that you're wishing them death because of who they are. That's wow. exactly what you're saying whenever you're using that yeah. slur. And the fact that it's so normalized that you could just drop it in conversation and then go on with your day as if that's not supposed to affect you. It's really heinous and also is meant to be called out on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People act yes. like it's, it's silly to be like, you're a snowflake. If you get upset about a word, words have power. Words are how we identify things and, mm-hmm words have like energies associated and attached to them like you can really bring the vibration of a conversation up or down based on like what you call the other people around you it, and it's it like words are how we perceive and label what we see around us it's mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. what separates us from like being animals is that we can speak to one another yeah yeah language i think it's really interesting how how powerful language is mm-hmm. i um i heard this really good quote sarah you might actually know it um it's uh, i forgot who but uh this one guy said it is not a nation we inhabit but a language mm-hmm. um and i think that when our language in the united states is like so filled with with hateful language mm-hmm. and it's so commonplace i think i think that is just a clear indicator of of a larger issue yeah that like that i just I, I keep reiterating it but it really is difficult to to really you know when you're with your friends mm-hmm. I, I can understand how it would be difficult to be like oh don't say the n-word i mean you could get made fun of i mean obviously mm-hmm. getting made fun of is 
a small thing in the long run. But I can understand how it's really hard for people to start changing their ways when they're so afraid of, like, peer pressure from society. Because we're just very desensitized, I think, to disrespecting one another and always Mm -hmm. jumping to being hostile and, like, an us-versus-them kind of ideology. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Well, if... Does anybody else have anything they want to say? I'm not sure. I feel like I wasn't really coherent with what all I was saying. I you were. I have great. something to say. Okay. I have something very important to say. I just think that everyone should read the book Walden. That's it. But I just think that if you read the book Walden, you'd be a better person. So Could you tell us what it's about? Through. Walden is by Henry David Thoreau, a transcendentalist. And his <laughs> um his whole thing is like, society is stupid. Return to nature. And I think that if everybody read it, it would just allow us to be more introspe- introspective to the point that maybe we could respect each other and value our time with each other more. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, you heard it here. <laughs> <laughs> Walden is the answer. Yes. Yeah. So I'm awesome. an anarcho-primitivist, so that's... Thank right. you for sharing that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I think that would be a good ending point for the episode. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Thanks so much to you both for participating today, but also to everybody who participated. Now, more than ever, student voices matter in the fight for justice and equality. So thanks, you guys, for tuning in one last time, and we hope that this segment has given listeners new perspectives on the most pressing issues facing youth today. Yes, and thank you so much to our listeners and participants. You guys did amazing. Without you, this would have never been possible. Remember to always speak with power and change going to come. All right. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Bye, you guys. I think that'll just about wrap up this episode then. Thanks so much to all who participated, and a huge shout-out to the members of the media team that made this possible. Another huge shout-out to every delegate that participated in Kona. You are the brightest of the bright, and your voices are the ones that will change society for the better. We hope that listeners have enjoyed tuning in for all of the episodes, and we hope that we've instilled the confidence in you guys to use your voices for change. Check out more media content through our blog, videos, and all of our social media under the media tab on the Kona website. Thanks for listening and keep raising your voices.